Well, good morning again, everyone. Hey, we are getting ready to continue on our series in James. But before we do that, I just want to point your attention to a couple of this really quick announcements on the back of your bulletin right there. Um, First of all, we, we do something over the summer and throughout the year called spiritual formations. And really what they are, they're, they're, they're these small groups where we gather together, focus on a specific topic. And so we've been doing this one on prayer that's getting ready to wrap up this week. And then in a couple weeks, we're starting one on marriage. This is a great series. If you're thinking about getting married, um, you just gotten married, you've been married for a very long time, or you're even thinking about getting married again. This will be a great series for you to go to. That's going to be coming up on Wednesday, starting at July 13th, called Kingdom Marriage. And then Wave Camp, you know, we just finished our camp for middle school and high school students. And Wave Camp is for our elementary age students. It's an incredible day camp that happens right here at the Chesapeake campus. Again, it's a safe, fun environment where kids are going to get to hear about the gospel all throughout the week. Pastor Aaron has some incredible things planned. So if you have not signed up your elementary age kid yet for Wave Camp, there's still room to do that. And also a great chance for them to invite some friends to come with them as well. Hey, I thought I'd start today by just simply asking you a question, okay? By show of hands, how many of you have a tongue? Raise your hand up. Okay, if you have a tongue, raise your hand up. Uh, some of you don't have your hands up. I know some really good doctors and nurses in the church that would love to talk with you uh, after the service is over today. Now, okay, now, now think about this, okay? Second question. How many of you who have a tongue, how many of you have ever said something that you regretted, that you know you shouldn't have said? Raise your hand. I'm talking about maybe you told a lie. Uh, you said something inappropriate. You admitted you were a Cowboys fan at some point. You said something insulting to somebody. Yeah, I think a lot of people had their hands up. I think a lot of us have said things that we regret or that we shouldn't have said. Man, it was the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Church, your words are powerful. During Jesus' time here on earth, during his ministry, it was the Pharisees who accused them of being the father of demons. Not something you want to say to Jesus. But Jesus said, look, my actions, the things I'm doing, the things I'm saying, they're in perfect alignment with the Father and also with the Scriptures. But he would turn around and he would say to those same Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, he would say, look, you guys are a brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All throughout this series, church, we've been looking at the patterns that are building or growing in our lives. Does our talk match with our walk? Does what we've been living match up with what we actually believe? Because if not, that probably means that it's time for us to reevaluate the way that we have been living. And if we have been living or even believing a lie, it's time for us to look at the truth and also to make the choice to walk in the freedom that is found in Christ. Today we're going to be in chapter 3 of James. And James addresses something that everyone has. In fact, I titled today's message, The Teacher and the Tongue. It almost seems like a very odd comparison, but James is going to bring these two things together. 
because he's probably even thinking about the words that his older brother said, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Church, what's coming out of your mouth is an indication of what's happening in your heart. What's coming out of your mouth is an indication of the patterns that are being built in your life right now. If we were to go back and listen to every single conversation that you had this week, what would it say about what you've been thinking? What would it say about what you actually believe in your hearts? What would it say about what you actually have been living? What would it reveal about your faith? What are you building up right now? Or what are you burning down with your words? Because out of the mouth, it's a clear sign of what you, where your heart is according to Jesus. And like we've been doing the past few weeks, I'm going to read through the entire passage today in James chapter 3. And we're going to go through verses 1 through 12. And what we're going to read today, again, it is so clear. In fact, so many times I hear people say, you know, it seems like the Bible is so hard to read. And I, I certainly admit there are some parts that are very hard to understand. But overall, man, God has made his word so clear. And even though this was written to a church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it is written so clear that it is on time for us today. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. James says, look, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue, the, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on the fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Father, again, your word is so clear. And even though this was written 2,000 years ago, Lord, because you have preserved your word, because this is God-breathed, it is on time for us today. Lord, it is what we need today. God, I pray as I've been wrestling with this passage, Lord, all this week, Lord, the past couple of weeks, on the power of the tongue. 
God, I pray even in this moment, God, as I go through this again, I, I wouldn't be thinking about other people or maybe the person who should have been here to hear this message, but Lord, you would deal with this tongue in my mouth. God, I want us to be a church where not just the meditations of our heart, but the words of our mouth be holy and and reflecting you and honorable to you, God. God, I pray that even in what we say that comes out of our mouth, God, it would be in alignment with you. It would be evidence of what's really in our hearts, that you are our Lord and our Savior, our God. So again, Lord, as as we've been praying so many times throughout this series, would you do a deep dive into our hearts, into our lives? God, if we have been believing a lie and even spreading it, convict our hearts today. Show us the truth, and God, help us to make the choice to walk in that truth and to live in your freedom. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. First, James shows us the teacher. He shows us the teacher here. He has some things that he wants to say to those who are teaching in the church. Listen to what he says here again in verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. You know, James is specifically talking to those in the church who do teach the scriptures, who do um, um, study and to train and to teach other people God's word. In fact, he includes himself in this when he says, look, we who are teachers, we who teach. So we know this is specifically addressing those who teach the scriptures in the church and even more so specifically preachers and teachers in the church. Now, now, what we don't know, and, and some, some people debate about this, is what was actually going on in this church in Jerusalem. Some people think there were maybe some false teachers who had come in, which was prevalent in the first century. In fact, it wasn't uncommon that in the church in the first century, some type of false teacher would come in with some type of false doctrine and would try to teach people things that are opposite of what the gospel teaches or what Jesus had trained his disciples and his apostles to teach and to train the church. So again, we don't know if there were any false teachers in this church or whether or not James was trying to help this church get ready for any false teaching that might be trying to come in. But what we do know, that it seems like from the text, a lot of people were wanting to become teachers or maybe even acting as teachers in the church in Jerusalem. So James has a few things that he wants to point out of what a teacher in the church should be, what they could be, and also what they should do. The first thing is that a teacher must teach Christ over everything. A teacher must teach Christ over everything. You know, I point this out because James says, look, we who teach. And again, he's including himself in this as a primary teacher in the church of Jerusalem. And as a primary teacher, the writer of this letter, he's trying to teach those who teach in the church that they must teach Christ over everything. You see it all throughout the letter that James wrote. In fact, in James chapter 1, he says, look, James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he says, look, if any of you lacks wisdom, he doesn't say go ask your cousin in them. He doesn't say if you lack wisdom, go ahead and do a Google search. He says first and foremost, above anything, he says, look, you need to ask God who gives wisdom generously. 
And then in verses 16 through 17 of chapter, chapter 1, he says, look, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Again, don't believe the lie. But he says, look, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It is from the Lord, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, look, hold the faith. Hold the faith, again, not in a building. Hold the faith, not in even another person. But he says, hold the faith in the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to teaching in the church, a teacher must value and honor and point to and lift up and hold to and trust in and lead people to Christ above anything else or anyone else. And James wants those who will be teaching in the church to know, look, above anything else, that teacher must hold Jesus above all. But he also wants the teacher to know, look, a teacher must care what is communicated. A teacher must really think about and pray about and study and care about what is communicated. Look, he says, he says look, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Look, teaching in the church, at, at times, you know, people have, have tried to take it in so many different directions. Teaching in the church, it could be for uh, political reasons. It could be just thoughts of positive thinking or um, positive actions that some people have tried to do in the church. But James is trying to bring people back and remind them, look, this needs to be centered on the scriptures. Because what the teachers in the church bring, because of the weight that's attached to the scriptures, it's so important to remember that you must really prepare and care about what is communicated because you're pointing people back to Christ. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The teacher must care what is communicated. And church, I want you to know that Coastal Church is a church where we care about what is communicated from the word of God. Everyone who steps on this stage, everyone who teaches a small group, everyone who shares the scriptures, they prepare and they pray and they study and they are held accountable because we care about what is communicated from the word of God because we want to teach Christ and his honor and his glory above everything. But not only that, James also says that the teacher must remember that this is a very high calling. The church in Jerusalem was led by James. And see, it was right in the middle of Jewish culture. And in Jewish culture, especially in the first century, if you were a rabbi or a teacher, you would have high influence. In fact, it was something that many people desired to do. Now, it got to the point where uh, certain groups of teachers, uh, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they started to, again, look at this calling mainly wanting to desire their own influence. In fact, they would actually want influence because they were trying to build their own school of thought. Uh, they, they wanted to become teachers because they wanted the political gain that maybe came from interacting with the Romans. Or they wanted to become teachers because they wanted to manipulate people simply for their own gain and their own fame. In fact, being a teacher or a rabbi in the first century did have high influence and even had very 
high status. But see, James, he doesn't want people to become teachers simply because they wanted more influence. Or maybe even in our modern day, wanted to build their own platform. In fact, he says, not many of you should seek it. Um, Another author said that we shouldn't be ambitious to become teachers because this is a high calling that should not be taken lightly. But see, James is saying, look, not many of you should seek being a teacher, but he's also not saying that everyone shouldn't be a teacher, which means that some should. In fact, there's some of you that may even be sitting in this room right now or maybe even watching online today that you know that God's given you a gift to teach. He's been growing it in you. And I would even challenge you that you would take steps to, help, to, to come alongside the Lord so that gift can be fanned into flame. There may even be some of you right now who you feel a calling to step into ministry. But maybe that paycheck from the shipyard is so much greater. And you wouldn't think, I would never want to step away from that because of the, the comfort that it brings. But maybe God's been calling you into ministry. And maybe you, you, you need to step into that in this season. But see, I, James is talking about, listen to this, okay. James is talking about those who primarily teach the word in the church which is typically the the preachers and the teachers. But he's also talking about those who teach the scriptures. So here at Coastal, man, we have people who teach the scriptures in small groups. We have people who teach the scriptures in our children's ministry and in the student ministry. And I want you to know if you are in any of those areas that this is a very high calling. And we want you to understand that this is something so important that you do Every single week, when you lead a small group, when you sit in in front of a bunch of kids, or even when you lead students. But I also want to bring it a little bit more closer to home. He's talking about those who teach the scriptures, those who share the word of God. And I want to challenge those who are sitting in this room, who are parents in this room, that you would be the primary teacher of the word of God in your home. Look, we are, the church is designed to come alongside you, to help you teach the word of God to your kids. But in your home, you are to be the primary communicator of God's word, to be the person that teaches your kids how to read the Bible, how to pray, to take that time to do devotionals with them, to study with them. In fact, the only time you you shouldn't, it shouldn't be the only time you use God's word is when you want to correct your kids. But it should be something that is seasoned in your home, that you're sharing the word of God often in your home. This is a high calling for those who are in the church, but also for those who are in the home sharing the word of God. James also says, look, a teacher must count the cost. There is a cost to being a teacher. He says, look, teachers will be held with a heavier judgment and they fail to practice what they preach. Jesus, both times he's talking to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said again, talking to his disciples about them getting ready to share his word, to share the scripture, to spread the gospel. He says, look, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
Man, that's not a greater strictness that James is talking about. I don't know what is. Jesus even said, look, if you lead someone astray, especially if it is a little child, it would have been better for you to tie a great millstone around your neck and literally drown. Jesus saying, look, this is a very high calling. This is very important for people to not just to mishandle the word of God, but to teach it with care, to teach Christ above all, to bring him the honor and glory that he deserves. So the teacher is to teach Christ over all, and they need to really care about what is communicated, making it all about Jesus. Remembering that this is a very high calling, but that there is a cost that comes along with the calling. But he doesn't just address the teacher. He widens the circle, and he also addresses the tongue. He starts with the teacher, but widens the circle to what every single person has. He starts talking to everyone, and he widens it in verse 2 by saying, look, for we all stumble in many ways. Now, pause right there for a moment. Can I just say again, if you are in this church and you're even a little bit jacked up, you're in the right place. This is not a church for perfect people. Nobody in this church is perfect in any way, but we know the one who is. Look, we are all going to mess up at some point. We're going to mess up again. In fact, James says, look, we all stumble. You want to know what that phrase is in the original language, that phrase, we all? You want to know what it translates into? We all, every single one of us is going to stumble in some way. We're going to sin again. We're going to mess up again. But we don't hide that. But again, we know that with Christ, there is grace available again. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect Man, now pause right there again. I, I know what you might be saying, okay? You might be saying, look, Andrew, you just said this, that this church right here is for jacked up people, people who mess up, who stumble in many ways. No one is perfect. Yes, I did. And you may say that, okay, no one is perfect, but isn't James talking about people being perfect right here? Is that, are you using that tongue of yours right now to lie to us? First of all, calm down, okay? All right, calm down. Look back at what James says again right there in verse 2. He says, we all, which again does mean we all. But notice the clause there, if. He says, look, if anyone does not stumble, which means if it were possible for someone to be perfect, if it were possible for someone not to mess up or not to sin, that person would be a perfect person if that was possible. But even then with the word perfect there, he softens it. In the original language, that word perfect is the word teleos. And it doesn't mean perfect in the way that we think we're someone that has everything together, never sins, never messes up. But it actually means to be maturing, to be growing. And he's saying, look, this is a person who, yes, we all stumble, but we all should be growing. We all should be maturing in our relationship with Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, look, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudders wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
man, James addresses the tongue. There's a couple things that he highlights here as he gives all these different examples. The first thing is that the tongue can keep the whole body in check. The tongue can keep the whole body in check. James uses all these illustrations to show that the whole body, or better yet, the whole person, or even the whole person's life can be impacted by the tongue. And firstly, he starts with this analogy of a horse. Now, I don't think anybody in here rode in on their horse this morning. Anybody did? Anybody rode in on your horse at all? A couple people? Um, wow. Uh, pray for you guys. Um, no one in here rode on a horse this morning, but we know that you can put like a bit in a horse and it literally guides the whole body of the horse wherever you steer that bit. Now, now I thought maybe the second analogy might be a little bit uh, more relatable, especially with how many people have served in the Navy or have worked in the shipyard. Uh, this is a picture of the USS Nimitz, okay? Uh, it's one of the, the largest naval aircraft carriers. Do you want to know how much this aircraft carrier weighs? It weighs 106,000 tons, okay? And just for your, you guys who like numbers, that is 212 million pounds. This ship has two rudders that guide it, two. And you want to know out of the 212 million pounds, the 106,000 tons, how much those two rudders weigh? 50. 50 tons. This massive ship is guided by two 50-ton rudders, 106,000 pounds. Tons, 212 million pounds, guided by these two small rudders. What James is trying to say is that the tongue, this one small thing, has the power to influence everything in your life. It can provide direction and be evidence of the direction that your life is going. But it can be for good, but it also can be for evil as well. So when the tongue is working right, look, it helps keep our whole life in check. In fact, it is a good indicator to see where our hearts are. I know I did this last week, but I feel like we need to do it again. Turn to the person sitting next to you. I want you to look him in the eye, and I want you to say to them, look, check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? Tell them that right now. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, this time I want you to slap them a little bit, okay? Slap them. Because we can't miss this church, what is coming out of our mouths. Like, it can be a check for our whole lives. It can be an indicator of the, the very direction that our lives are going in this season. And see, see, James says, look, this is important to be able to check what's coming out of our mouths because the indicator of our lives. It can actually help keep our whole lives in check to see the direction where we're going. But he also says that the tongue can be an instrument of corruption. He uses such strong language here. Don't miss this. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire, the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell. 
Man, James uses such strong language here to help this church, teachers in the church, but everyone in the church, see just how important their words are. He's trying to help them see that the weight of the weight of their words can impact others, but it can also impact them as well. Look, he said, it's, it's this little fire that can burn down a forest. See, it's, it's like a match. I promise you I've not picked up smoking, okay? But he says, it's like a match. And it's hard to think that this little flame, if I were to go drop it in the right place in the woods right now, it could burn down an entire forest. It's hard to think that this little flame right here, if I were to drop it on the carpet that has been sitting in this auditorium for like two or three decades, who knows what's in this carpet? If I were to drop it right now, it might actually burn up this entire auditorium. It is hard to think that one little flame could burn down an entire forest. But James is saying here that the words that roll off of our tongue, even in just a little word of bitterness or anger or despair, can burn down someone else's life. He's saying, look, don't miss this. He says, look, it is, it is setting things on fire. And if that wasn't strong enough to get people to see that even just the little words that we say can literally burn down an entire forest, he says, look, it, in verse 6, look at verse 6 again. He says, this is setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell. Now, if you have a, a good old paper Bible, I want you to underline the phrase right that it says entire course of life. And if you have a digital Bible, at least highlight that verse, that verse 6, where it says entire course of life. Because what James is saying right here, and this is the key right here to this section of the passage, is that, yes, the tongue can be set on fire by hell, which means it's producing more and more evil. But he's saying, look, this entire course of life, that is a pattern that's being established in someone's life. This is something that's ongoing in the person's life. This is a pattern of behavior that the words that they're saying, that they're thinking the consequences don't matter as they're spewing out all of these words. They're literally burning things down. This is the tongue of the person who spews out lies all the time. This is the tongue of the person who spews out gossip and slander against others. This is the person that spews out hatred or rumors or words that are filled with rage or anger or bitterness. Church, is your tongue on fire right now? What are you spewing out of your mouth? And if that language wasn't strong enough still, James goes even stronger in verse 8. He says, look, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is this restless evil full of deadly Poison. Now, that word poison right there in the original language is the word eos. And yes, it does mean venom or poison, but it also means corrosion. Corruption, corrosion. It happens over time. And again, as we've been going through this series, church, we've been asking God to do a deep dive on our hearts. To see if we've been believing a lie or even living a lie so that we could see the truth. Make the choice to walk in the freedom of Christ. But this poison, this corruption, this corrosion, this is a little bit more subtle. 
And sometimes we don't even notice it, but we've, we've actually began to take it in some of the, the mantras of culture, and we begin to repeat those things as if they were gospel. But what we're actually doing is spreading a little bit of poison. We're spreading a little bit of corruption. We're spreading a little bit of corrosion into the culture. Uh, you may have heard some of these common phrases, and I think some of these common phrases, some of the common phrases producing corruption You may have heard the phrase like, the heart wants what it wants. Follow your heart. You do you. Speak your truth, okay? Live your truth. Speak your truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. You can speak your truth. What matters most to you is that you're happy. Of course, one of the most common phrases, especially right now in 2022, is to be true to yourself. These are all phrases that are often speaking, spoken right now in culture, and they are subtle, okay? Some of them honestly even sound good. But these little bits of poison slowly corrode the heart against God. How can the heart want what it wants? Or how can we even tell people to follow your heart? When Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says that a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can understand it? How can we say what matters most is what makes you happy or you do you? When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or when he says, you know what, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just doing whatever you want, not just seeking happiness, but hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And, of course, the phrase, be true to yourself. Author and pastor, uh, John Mark Comer, he, he notes about this phrase that, again, gets passed around and said in so many different ways, especially now in our current culture. He says that this phrase, be true to yourself, is actually a quote from Hamlet. The original version was, this above all, to thine own self be true. And he makes it known and says, does anyone remember who said that line? It was actually Polonius, the fool in the story. It's the fool who encourages us to live by this law and be true to yourself. And yet we mouth this mantra like it's gospel. How can you be true to yourself when you are not the manufacturer of yourself, but God is? Just do it. Some of you guys are wearing some just do it's right now in this room. Speak your truth. How can we do that when Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing of your faith, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How can we say to speak your truth when James says, look, know this, my beloved brothers, everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of God does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Look, if there's a mantra out there that we've been repeating that comes into alignment with Scripture, there's nothing wrong with that. But right now, sometimes the cry of culture can be a cry of a tongue of corruption. 
So church right now, and I'm asking the same question to myself, is, is, is your tongue on fire? Is it spreading some poison? The tongue is a check for our lives, but it can be this great instrument of corruption. But see, James also wants the church to know that the tongue can be a great source of care. It can be a great source of care. But in parentheses right next to it, I want you to put with Christ and with confession. He says in verse 9, he says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, James makes even more comparisons to help people see how important this is so they don't miss it. And for the follower of Jesus, he's saying, look, spewing out poison in this way is such hypocrisy for the follower of Jesus. And he puts, and putting out more poison and more corrosion into the world only ends up hurting the church. He's saying, look, we can bless God, but at the same time, curse people who are made in his image. We can bless our Lord and Father, but yet same time, same time we're literally burning down other people's lives. But it's like he's saying in this moment that we can also choose the former rather than the latter. That we can choose to bless God, to praise him for who he is with this tongue. We can choose to bless others. We can choose to be able to encourage them. We can be a fresh flowing spring of water. James is pointing to a heart that has been renewed. It is being renewed and it will be renewed by Christ that overflows as if it were a fresh flowing spring full of care and full of compassion. All of this is because of Christ, not from within, but instead it is from him. You know, a phrase that's um, said in movies and said in culture oftentimes is that confession is indeed good for the soul. And that's because it does line up with scripture. Uh, we're going to be here in a couple of, couple of weeks. So I want to go ahead and bring it in today in James chapter 5. Like J- James says something that's so good for all of us that we need to be doing with our tongues constantly. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is not a fire burning something down or poison, but it said confession is healing. And he's saying that, look, you need to confess your sins to one another. Man, there are some people who might be sitting in this room today where, where right now you've been in the season where you've been using your tongue and it's been causing pain and hurt to others. Where what you need to do right now is instead confess that you have sinned against someone else. You need to make confession at the forefront. Because confession will actually bring healing to your relationships. And will even bring healing to your, confession, to your relationship with the Lord. The Apostle John says in 1 John 1, 9, he says, Look, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the follower of Jesus, like, it's a reminder that we need to make confession something that we practice all of the time. We need to be people who practice full-on confession to God, 
but also to others. Because this produces care in our relationships, but it also brings healing into our relationships. One of the things that we try to practice in our home is full-on confession. When we hurt somebody in our home, whether it's with our words or with our actions, we don't apologize like either politicians or people in the media do, okay? We don't apologize like some of them do where we simply say, hey, I'm sorry if you were hurt. I'm sorry if you were offended. Um, I'm sorry if you didn't understand what I said. Look, that's the way that the world apologizes. What we do is we own our part. And we say, look, I'm so sorry that I caused this pain to you. It was wrong of me to say those words. I wouldn't want anybody else to say those things to me. Please forgive me. We practice full-on confession in our home. And I want to challenge you to do the same. In your relationships, in your home, at work, in your small group, that if you offend someone, you would actually admit what you did, and you would also ask that person for forgiveness. Look, John says if we confess our sins to the Lord, look, he is faithful every single time to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James says, look, if we actually confess those sins to one another, it brings healing to our relationships. Is there anyone right now that you need to bring a little bit of care to and confess that you did something wrong to them? Is there some, someone right now that you need to admit that you've done something wrong or you've sinned against them? And let me again just challenge parents in the room. Parents, I will admit that as a parent, sometimes it's the hardest thing for you to admit that you've done something wrong. Because there's a, there's a little bit of prideful side of parents. We're on the side. Of, we're, 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 we're trying to pretend like we always have it right, okay? And even though our kids know we don't always have it right, even though we know we don't always have it right, there's still sometimes we try to pretend like we always have it right. But parents, it brings such great value to your relationship with your child when you admit that you've sinned against them. Confession brings care. Confession is good for the soul. What if instead of us using our tongues to bring a little bit more corruption into the world, man, we were the church that confessed Christ, we confessed our sins, and we literally brought healing into relationships. The Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, he would say, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, we're getting ready to take communion as a church. Communion is such a good reset for us. And right now, we need to check our tongues. What is it that's been coming out of your mouth? Because it's revealing what is in your heart. And today is a day where maybe you need to confess those sins to God. Again, look, he says, if you confess those things, he's faithful and just to forgive us for all unrighteousness. But maybe for you, maybe the first confession you need to make is that you need to confess Jesus as Lord. 
Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. And Jesus, who is God, died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Three days later, he bodily rose from the dead. And the scripture says, look, if you believe in him, if you confess him, that you will have life to the full right now, but also for eternity. And he can even take control of your tongue and use you as a vessel to be able to spread his good news to others. So maybe the first confession you need to make if you've never trusted Christ is to trust him right now in this moment. But for the rest of you who have, communion is a time for us to pause and to really to look back at our lives, even this past week. If we were to go back and see every conversation that you had, what would that say about where your heart is and where your mind is? Is there something that you need to confess to the Lord? The scripture also says, look, don't take this communion in an unworthy manner. So as you come down, as the band sings one more song, they're going to sing one more song, and you're going to come down, and communion's right here. But as you're coming down, man, ask God to search your heart. Confess those sins to him, and then we're all going to take communion together. So let me pray. They're going to sing, and you come down and get communion this morning. Father God, um, Lord, there's something so challenging about this passage, God, and Lord, even just looking at what the words that have been coming out of our mouths. And God, I do pray, Lord, that, again, we wanna think about the person who's not here, who maybe needed to hear this message about what they've been saying. But God, bring it right to us. God, search our hearts. God, what's been coming out of them, Lord, the heart, what comes out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. God, help us to see what it is that we've been speaking, Lord. Is it against you? Is it against others? God, are we, are, have our tongues this week been touched by hell that we've been spewing anger and hatred and bitterness that are completely against you? God, I pray that you would give us, Lord, the wisdom to confess that. Again, Lord, you would cleanse our hearts again, but Lord, you would also cleanse our tongues again. God, bring these tongues into alignment with you. God, we want to be tools that confess you as Lord, that confess the glory that you deserve, that bring blessing to our heavenly Father, that bring worship to your name, but also blesses others. God, we want to be a fresh flowing spring. God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, you stand, and then you receive communion.